Hey everyone, welcome back to Upstate Anecdotes, the Shy Institute for Sustainable Communities podcast. My name is Caroline Singleton. Throughout the summer, I've had the opportunity to speak with several different people about sustainable food justice. We've learned why community collaboration is important and why addressing systemic injustices is crucial to solving problems like food insecurity and transportation, and sustaining it in the long term. I think mostly the people I've talked to so far have been focusing on mid to upstream, but what about a bit more downstream? Like we just learned from Melissa, a mixed approach to social justice that includes a strong partnership between upstream and downstream approaches, systemic changes while still meeting people's immediate needs, is an incredibly powerful and also sustainable solution. In this episode, we're talking with Anna and Rob from Mill Village Ministries. I reached out to Mill Village because of their holistic approach to nonprofit work. According to their website, Mill Village Ministries is an umbrella organization that seeks to do transformative work in Greenville through four distinct social enterprises. I'm Anna Baumgartner, and I am the Food Share Program Director. And I started working here in April of this year, and before that, I worked at another nonprofit in Greenville and have always been interested in food justice and have kind of worked in the nonprofit space and seen what that looks like, but really wanted to get involved a little bit more directly. And so I'm enjoying my position so far. Anna has her bachelor's degree in child, adult, and family services from Iowa State University and has a background in nonprofit work. Rob Kane is a 2019 Furman grad with a degree in economics and poverty studies. My name is Rob Kane, and I am the operations and development manager at Mill Village Ministries, which Mill Village is the umbrella 501c3 for several different social enterprises. And I started working at Mill Village Farms in twenty the summer of 2016, actually through an internship with the Shy Institute. Um, and did a summer and then kind of stayed in touch with our executive director and realized that I really cared about the nonprofit world and food access, but didn't want to be a farmer. Um, So I I found out that I can write grants. Um, And so that's what I do now. Like Rob said, and like I mentioned before, Mill Village Ministries is the umbrella nonprofit for four different social enterprises. These include a faith-based social engagement called Village Engage, entrepreneurship training through Village Launch, sustainable transportation with Village Wrench, and the fourth, and the reason I was initially interested in the organization, Mill Village Farms, whose tagline is growing food, growing jobs. The origin story of these enterprises is part of what makes Mill Village unique. It's actually pretty cool. A lot of the enterprises happen very organically. So Dan Weidman, our executive director in 2012, was living in the Greater Sullivan neighborhood. He was he's a member of Long Branch Baptist Church, which is a historically African American church in the Greater Sullivan neighborhood. And teenagers were just like not like telling the pastor that they wanted jobs. And at the same time, there were a lot of chronic illnesses, diet related illnesses in the neighborhood and in the church for adults as well. So teenagers were knocking on doors saying, I want a job, I want a job, I want a job. And adults were like, we need healthy food. And so kind of the idea was born, well, let's start a garden with the church, basically. And it was a combination of several different churches who kind of helped start it. And now obviously it's spun off into something totally different and a lot bigger, not totally different, the mission is still the same, but a lot bigger. 
But that's kind of how that one started. And then Village Ranch, they were selling Mill Village Farm produce in church parking lots all around Greenville. And people were coming up on bikes and they needed their bikes fixed. And so there were people at the churches who were like, well, I, I, fix, I tinker with bikes. Like, I'll try to help fix a bike. And so free bike neighborhood pop-ups started happening once a month. And then it slowly kept growing and growing and growing. And they're like, okay, we need like an actual... 501c3 to take this over because this is more than just what volunteers can do and so village wrench kind of came under the fold at the same time another church in greenville was doing like kind you know kiva lending loans basically mm-hmm. uh, a similar type idea for primarily black women to help them start their businesses and then it started to grow to be too big that the, it was needed to not be under the church umbrella anymore. And so Village Launch, which helps low-income entrepreneurs start businesses, kind of came under the fold because they were wanting to grow and expand because there's so many entrepreneurs who want to grow their businesses. Um, so that's how that one came under. And then Village Engage, which is our kind of social justice advocacy arm, it is part of a national organization curriculum called Just Faith Ministries, which looks at social justice issues from a faith lens. and Basically, we were just a local iteration of that national organization, and then it got too big, and so they wanted to basically form a, another enterprise within the village ministry. So they've all kind of started outside and then realized, like, oh, all of this makes sense to be under one organization. The way Mill Village looks at the problems facing their community is very aligned with what we've been talking about this whole time. When we think back to the donut model, it reminds us that the issues we're talking about are all interrelated and complex. They all matter, and you can't have one without the other. We see the problems facing our community as very complex, systemic, interrelated issues. And so to solve any one issue, you sort of need a holistic, multi-pronged approach. It's like if somebody comes and says they don't have access to healthy food, it's like, okay, well, you likely don't have physical access, so maybe you need a bike. Mm-hmm. You maybe don't have financial access, so maybe you need help starting your own business. Or, you know, and obviously every person who comes to us doesn't want to start their own business, and not every person needs a bike. But that idea that there are compounding and layered issues behind why people may not have access to, for example, food, healthy mm-hmm. food. And so our ultimate goal is to see all Greenville residents flourish and have access to sustainable transportation, affordable produce, be able to have the ability to follow their dreams and start a business if they want to and be aware of the issues facing their community. And so the way I describe it is just like holistic community development. And that's why each is such an important factor. And we're not a food bank. We're not emergency housing. We don't do everything because that would be silly. But we um, do think we specialize well in these areas and then refer folks to other services that we don't provide. Yeah. Each piece of the puzzle is so important and you can't ignore Mm -hmm. one without the other so in terms of sustainability when you hear that word what comes to mind whether it's food systems or the village wrench or all of these things that work together yeah I'd say for when I hear the word sustainability I think of something that's long-lasting and something that allows people to have autonomy and kind of the um I guess the authority over their lives, kind of that idea that it's not something that's a quick fix or something that is, you know, a one-time deal, but something that allows them to continue to sustain 
um, like for our, you know, for food justice, it's like healthy, healthy living and a healthy lifestyle. And if we were doing food boxes, you know, once in a while instead of on a consistent basis, it might not give people the opportunity to have that change in their life and in their lifestyle and in their health. And so I think in order to sustain, we have put measures in place to be able to like create a program that allows them to continue to have access to healthy foods mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis every other week so that their lifestyle and their health can change and they can see that because it's it's really we're all playing the long game I think we're not playing for you know a couple of times or for you know a short period but it's kind of like running the marathon and staying with people so that they can actually see the change in their health and change in their life and how that's going to play out is willing to be there with them for the long haul and not just for a short period of time. So we see like our customers and food share come back almost every time. I mean, we have so many reoccurring customers that it's evident that this is helping them maintain that healthy lifestyle. And it's definitely um, like important to them to be able to get access to affordable fresh produce in a location that's convenient for them um, on a very regular basis. So I think that that's part of the sustainability on the food justice side. Yeah, absolutely. I really like what you said about the marathon piece because there is that immediate need that needs to be met, but in the Mm -hmm. long term, if you're not working towards that goal of sustainable lifestyles for people's whole lifetime then really what's the point of what you're doing so I like yeah and I think like something we always talk about is there are like Rob mentioned there's so many other places in Greenville other organizations that are food banks and have pantries and that's awesome but a gap that Mill Village Farms saw was that there wasn't access to fresh produce Mm -hmm. and so we are one of the only options for like fresh produce in Greenville County and so like we really take that, you know, we really want to make sure that we are taking that part seriously and that we're, you know, realizing that this is a gap that we get to fill, but also there's kind of that responsibility and weight that comes with that, that, you know, we are able to fill that gap. So we want to continue to do that well and figure out how to continue to make our systems better for our customer base, because it is a, they might be able to get, you know, things that have a long shelf life, but in order to see that change in their health and healthy living, it's like that affordable fresh produce piece is so important. So I think that that's a huge part of that as well. For sure. Mm -hmm. So Anna and Rob have both mentioned food share. Last time we heard from Melissa about food share, but I told you I'd save it for this episode. Food share was started in Toronto, Canada. Within the state of South Carolina, it started in Columbia out of the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, and it has the goal of being in every county in the state. The vision of FoodShare is to ensure access to fresh produce for everyone in all communities. In Greenville County, it's operated by Mill Village, and they do a lot to make sure the health of the county residents is being upheld. They try to make sure local farms are being utilized, but it isn't always realistic. So again, it takes a mixture of solutions. We'd love to be able to support only local farmers, but the reality is to maintain the affordability piece, we cannot just do that. So we have a wholesale distributor out of Columbia that um, we can order 
tons of produce from um, on a consistent basis. So every box we order um, food staples that anybody would recognize. So we always make sure to have things like bananas and apples and carrots and things that people know what to do with. And then we always try to also add on things that might be a little bit more unique, like turnips or garlic bulbs and things that not necessarily everybody loves to use every time, but because we're interspersing those into boxes on different weeks, we're kind of able to add variety without, you know, totally turning people off. So we don't want to give them a box with just, you know, kale, turnips, and some lemons. Like we want to make sure that we have staple items that people need every week in the box and there's 10 to 12 varieties and the box weighs about 20 pounds each week each time that we do it so it's pretty hefty it's a pretty good size i mean after a day of unloading all the boxes like we are very sore there's hundreds of boxes we're manually unloading from our trucks so not to digress too much but so that's kind of the ordering process we order from columbia and sometimes local farmers and then we get our deliveries on a monday of our boxing week and so we get them into our warehouse which like I told you is in a warehouse off of close to Taylor's yeah yeah, off of Rutherford Road in Greenville so we rent out a space there which will later be hopefully here on Pendleton Street we'll have all of our operations out of this location but for now we're renting out that space and we are able to um, we have a loading dock we have pallet jacks we're able to get all this produce honestly tons of produce each time off these giant you know tractor trailer trucks and we're putting them into a big walk-in cooler we're counting it to make sure we have what we ordered and then um, really from there we have a ton of volunteers they come and help us pack each box so that each box looks the same Mm -hmm. um, and that it's really grocery store quality so each piece of produce is inspected by that person that's assigned to put it into the box so somebody might be assigned to put kiwis into the box the food share box and they're trying to look at each kiwi as they're putting it in just to make sure it's at a high level of quality we don't want any of our customers to feel like what they're paying for the box isn't really matching the the quality that we need to be upholding and so we're boxing them on tuesdays we're getting them to make sure that they're uniform and we're putting them onto pallets so that they're ready to be loaded onto our trucks. Mm -hmm. And then on Wednesday is when we distribute. So on Wednesdays we have a delivery route. So Chris is on a delivery route that goes to about 14 different partner sites across the Greenville County. So anywhere from like a Prisma clinic here in the city center to a couple of food banks out in Taylor's. I mean, really the remote parts of Greenville County that you don't even know that they're part of Greenville County, but they're beautiful and they are, you know, representative of population that needs to be served with fresh produce. And so he is accompanied by a loaves and fishes truck and driver and able to distribute about half our boxes that way. And then the other half are in um, Nickeltown, we have a drive-through location. So we are able to have a box truck out there. It's refrigerated and we're sitting out there from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. every other Wednesday, and we're handing out about the other half of boxes to customers that are pulling up, and they've pre-ordered their boxes, and they tell us their name, and we look up how many boxes they've ordered, and we're putting them into their car. So it's quite the operation. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of 
things at the end to wrap up because we also take snap orders, which mm-hmm. makes it very accessible for people who need um, to use their food stamps to be able to buy food to make it even more accessible because for people on SNAP, it's only $5 for a box. And so it even offers that level of accessibility for them. So yeah, we partner with a lot of different clinics throughout Greenville and food banks and people also can just come and get them off our drive through location. Very cool. So is the the boxes are 20 pounds each, you said? Is that standard or do you have like, I'm just comparing it to my internship last summer. I think the boxes yeah. were also t- about 20 pounds for, like, two people or something. Do you guys do it by family size, or can people just order however many boxes they like? Yeah, they can really order however many boxes they like. I mean, we say the box could feed a family of four. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it just depends on how much produce you go through. I could we I see a lot of families get two boxes, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably more realistic. Is like a family of four could use two food share boxes for those two weeks until they get their next food share mm-hmm. box. I feel like that's pretty realistic. Yeah. But um, it kind of depends on how much produce you consume. Yeah. And how much produce you consume is often dependent upon the accessibility of the product. Like I said in my episode on food waste, the Saturday morning farmer's market is not accessible for everyone. The issue of accessibility is something that Mill Village is tackling in every avenue, whether they're aware of it or not. It's not just about Mill Village Farms. Village Wrench, Village Engage, and Village Launch all reach parts of people's lives that help afford them a better quality of life. It's a holistic view. When I think about this, so I think about it a little bit differently just because I'm not a sustainability major. I'm not on the ground working, handing out or selling boxes of produce, you know, to customers. I'm kind of on the back end of things. And so I think about how I want every farmer to be paid enough Mm -hmm. and I want every person to have enough money to buy the food at the cost that the farmer needs to sell it in order to make enough money. But right now, we, you have to choose one or the other, right? So, like, you can't... Our, our customers, Swamp Rabbit Cafe is amazing because they allow small farmers to sell produce, and they support them, and that is the amazing mission that they're doing. So they're kind of doing it on that side to make sure farmers are able to produce good food and be paid well and a good wage for it. And we're kind of doing the opposite side, where we're making sure that people can afford produce, um... And so <laughs> this is not necessarily an answer to your question. This is something I wanted to say is that I can't wait for a world in which you don't have to choose between paying a farmer well enough to do their job or having somebody not have enough money to buy good produce. Right. And right now, unfortunately, you have to choose one or the other. So I think that FoodShare in some ways, because we've gotten grants to pay more money to give to local farmers to get more local produce in our boxes um, and just the like systemic issues of why that is so difficult are vast but it's still exciting that we're working on it and working towards that and I don't think that we're going to solve all the world's problems in in a small nonprofit in Greenville, South Carolina but I do believe that we're moving the needle and working on those sorts of things but your question was neither of those things. Your question was, what do you think about accessibility in general in Greenville and your attitude towards it? I 
think that our public transportation system is incredibly lacking. Um, it doesn't go where the vast majority of people who use it need it. I think that we don't have enough bike lanes, so even when we get bikes for people, they're only in rich affluent areas, and rich affluent people are using bikes for leisure, which is amazing. Um, and I think more sh people should always be on bikes, but um, it's it's not easy to get anywhere in Greenville unless you have a car. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's a deeper issue than just where are the grocery stores, but then there's also the issue of incentivizing. So like the city and county could be working to incentivize grocery stores in low-income areas because big box grocery stores look at traffic studies and how many cars are driving by and what's the median income in this neighborhood and those sorts of things. And so they need larger incentives to go into neighborhoods where sustainability, it doesn't make sense for a Walmart to go somewhere where they're not going to make money because they're not going to do it. You know, it's not sustainable for their business model. So we can't necessarily blame them for that, but we need to change the conditions in which a Walmart or an Aldi or a name the store would, would have enough incentives. Unfortunately, that's just what they need to go into those neighborhoods so that we don't need food share. I think it'd be great if we didn't need food share, you know? But we do. Yeah. yeah. I think that's important because, you know, in reality, healthy, fresh food isn't accessible for everyone. It's right. It takes a lot of time. Like a Saturday morning farmer's market is not the reality no. for right. most people at 8 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. So. Nor are the, yeah. Prices. Yeah. yeah. Prices. Yeah. <laughs> Nor are the prices. Exactly. But we're paying farmers well at farmer's right. markets, yeah. which is great. And something else that plays into the issue of accessibility is culturally appropriate food. This is something that Rob acknowledged they can do better with. Yeah, so all, all of our boxes are the same um, for every person who orders. Um, however, we work with a lot of largely Hispanic clinics. So Unity Health on Main, for mm -hmm. example, um, and Center for Pediatric Medicine West, which is just right over here near our office, they're very high percentage Hispanic. And so our recipe cards that we provide are in Spanish and English. Mm -hmm. So that portion definitely is culturally appropriate. Um, but a lot of our produce, like you were saying, it's staples. So it's like onions, potatoes, apples, oranges, bananas, um, and then every now and then collards or kiwis or you know so we kind of try to make them pretty basic so that everybody consumes just about everything that's in them but I do think that's an area that we could continue to grow and one year for Thanksgiving we did do two separate boxes um or it wasn't for Thanksgiving but it was in November and we did different boxes one that was more geared towards Hispanic families and one that was geared more towards um non-Hispanic folks Mill Village Farms tagline, like I mentioned before, is growing food, growing jobs. Again, this points towards the donut. Mill Village sees that you can't have one without the other. Uh, teenagers wanted jobs and local folks in the community wanted healthy produce. Mm -hmm. And so we realized that you could kind of solve, maybe not solve, but you could work on both of those desires from the community in one area, and that was food, growing food. Um, and we also realized that a lot of teenagers, regardless of your background, where you live, what, like high school, middle schools and high schools aren't really providing job readiness for students in school. And so a lot of what we do at Mill Village Farms is 
doing job preparedness work. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there are nonprofits who do this, you know, who provide help with resumes or help with job applications or, you know, help with interview skills, whatever. Like, how do you have eye contact? What do you wear? How do you hold yourself? Um, but I think the really unique thing that we do is we provide employment training with employment opportunities. Um, and even if that's not at Mill Village Farms, since we don't have unlimited spots, um, we do work with other organizations to help um, provide job opportunities with our partner organizations throughout Greenville. So there's lots of different organizations, coffee shops, restaurants, banks, different places that we have placed students um, who've gone through our classes and then worked at other places as well. Because we also realize that not all teenagers want to be farmers. <laughs> Actually, right. none of them do, really. Um, but it's more of farming as a means to an end to mm-hmm. not only teach them where their food is coming from and do it in a sustainable way, but also like you can learn so much from working on a farm that you can apply anywhere. And working on a team and having a supervisor and getting performance reviews and all those things that we do um, are incredibly applicable to any field of work wherever the student wants yeah, to go. Absolutely. How many students do you guys take on the farm? This summer we have 10. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the past we've done up to 32, I think. Oh. Um, and we quickly realized that more is not always better. Yeah. <laughs> and is so, it just during the summer? Or is it also... No, we provide uh, school um, employment opportunities as well, like after school um, in the fall and spring. Because in the winter, we're not growing much. Yeah. This year-round opportunity provides so much support to their surrounding neighborhood. Their impact reaches beyond just the students who work on the farm. I mean, one obvious thing is that our farm does produce, right? Like, so we are able to sell it at various places. And um, even, I think the last few boxes, we've had kale from our farms. And so that's In the future boxes. Yeah, in the future boxes to be... Yeah, specific. Mm-hmm. So we are able to give that. I mean, that was like I think a week where we had about seven hundred and fifty boxes, and so people are getting food that's locally sourced and um, and grown by local grown teenagers. by local yeah. teenagers, yeah. which is just a cool connection. I think when we're talking to our customers and we're talking to our volunteers, they just get really excited to know that it came from their. I mean, really a place that could be their own backyard. It's. Mm-hmm. It's so local that, I mean, people know where our farms are and kind of understand the concept of what we're doing to grow food jobs. So I think that's a really cool impact um, that it has. Rob, do you have any other? Yeah, I think also we do a lot of informal education, I would say, and especially with wealthy folks. Mm -hmm. So when you think of Mm -hmm. um, poverty and lack of food, it doesn't look like what you think of in the commercials, you know, like where people are starving in remote countries. In Greenville, people are starving for nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we do kind of a lot of informal education around what is healthy food insecurity because you can afford a two liter and a bag of chips, which will give you technically enough calories. Um, But I think just kind of teaching why the, the behind the scenes of why does this exist for certain groups of people in Greenville and not others is a, another big thing we do. So I think the impact we have is also across the aisle, right? Like it, it, it's not mm-hmm. really political because folks want to see hard work and they want to mm-hmm. see 
um, systemic solutions and they want to see affordable produce and that you know so it's kind of something that everyone can get on board with no matter what you believe or where you come from yeah and this impact across the aisle that rob is talking about for many people seeing the impact can help them understand the issue as well as the solutions this is something that melissa fair talked about data-driven evidence-based solutions and this isn't something that is unique to melissa or her partners so we actually partnered with Livewell and Furman with the community mm-hmm. neighborhood community needs assessment. I don't remember the name of the <laughs> the research, but basically it showed which census tracts are most yeah. most food insecure, mm-hmm. and we target those neighborhoods. So we target partner sites who we can work with who have already built trust in those areas who can then distribute our food share boxes. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the fourteen. Those fourteen sites we are strategically working to ensure that we're reaching the most food insecure census tracts. Um, we also track the percentage of SNAP customers who yeah. order our boxes. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of the goal for food share South Carolina is that no matter where you live and no matter how much money you make, you have access to fresh mm-hmm. and affordable produce if you live in South Carolina. Yeah. Um, so Greenville is like the biggest outside of Columbia, or it might be bigger than Columbia some weeks. But all that to say, there is a lot of data and research that is being done from um, Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation and from Diabetes Free SC and all sorts of research from um, SNAP Education. And um, we don't ourselves do it, but we're part of providing data and helping higher ed institutions Mm -hmm. who do research, because that's not what we do, Mm -hmm. um, ensure that what we're doing is making a difference and is targeting the correct people so one thing that I've noticed in my role at least as like I write a lot of grants and so everyone always asks for data but I think it's so much more powerful if you have larger data than just like anecdotal stories are incredibly important we have a ton of those but to say that we're a part of a network across all of South Carolina that's working with the School of Medicine and SNAP Ed and all these different things it means a whole lot more when you realize that you're doing something bigger and it's a more systemic solution across the entire state not even just Greenville. Right. I think Rob hit the nail on the head. I think we utilize data though we don't necessarily go after analyzing it ourselves but all that we do is really driven around like research and data that's shown that this is a need. Um, and proven solutions. Yeah too. exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so I think everything we do like our actions are operations are all based on the fact that these are, yeah, there's proven research to show that these are the solutions to help reach, you know, food deserts in Greenville County. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. And when things shift, we're making, Mill Village is a very flexible and adaptable organization. So we're making lots of moves to make sure that we're continuing to adapt to Mm -hmm. if there were, you know, research that came out that showed that part of what we're doing no longer really supports our customers or supports you know healthy nutrition then we would pivot to make sure that we're staying up to speed on those things and not doing something that's not as beneficial as it could be if we were to do something different so yeah we definitely are really attuned to it and utilize it but we don't analyze it ourselves necessarily yeah and to add to that like we have a summer intern this summer who's doing uh surveys yeah. and yeah. and just figuring out like asking our customers like hey do you is what we're doing helpful? You know, like, mm-hmm. what about this could be better? Right. You know, and asking the folks who are actually receiving the boxes rather than just 
assuming that a research study from Vermin or from anyone else yeah. is actually saying what customers want. Like we're also doing direct questionnaires to our customers saying, is this helpful? You know, I, I mean, asking a ton of different questions, but basically is what we're doing helpful and how can we make it better? Yeah, yeah. that's so important. Like I was talking with Susan France from Livewell mm-hmm. and one of their main pillars is amplifying community voices. And I think that's absolutely important because how are you well, I come from a very privileged background. How am I supposed to know the answers to these questions if I've never lived through it? Exactly. So the people who are closest to the problems should absolutely have a voice in the yeah. space to provide those answers for people. And oftentimes yeah. people closest to the issues know <laughs> know what needs right. to be done. They're just the furthest from the resources right. to make that happen. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. And a lot of what you guys are talking about is something that I've been learning is crucial to this work is community collaboration also something that I think LiveWell has nearly perfected because of, I think they have 250 partners, which is insane. Mm-hmm. So I guess either personally or professionally, what does collaboration mean for you guys in your work? Yeah, we have so many, I mean, we partner with LiveWell, so we're working with Susan France and Sally, and I mean, we have so many different partnerships, including all those partner sites, the 14 that I mentioned, many of whom are at Prisma Clinics, and so, I think that there's so many different reasons that it's, I mean, really crucial to what we're doing. Like, we're definitely stronger together because we have, you know, research coming from, you know, Furman and and Prisma and not only, you know, research or not only ideas and solutions, but also funding is a big part of it. And I think it's really cool to see places, corporations, businesses, kind of step up and say, hey, we want to be a part of the solution too, and that's a partnership, and that's a collaborative effort. And, you know, even, we haven't mentioned volunteerism as much, but even just volunteerism and different, we have had ScanSource come out twice this summer. They've brought a group of about 15 interns to come and help us pack food chair boxes, and I think that that shouldn't be overlooked either because they're getting their hands dirty they're, and they're also just learning about what we're doing and maybe that'll for one of them spark something like hey I want to be part of you know food justice in a new way or in a different way so I feel like all those collaborative efforts kind of permeate throughout whether it's working with the live well or working with the Prisma Clinic to get more food boxes or it's a business it's a corporation that's wanting to provide resources or people to come and help it's very multifaceted and it is I feel like there's not there's there's probably an organization that we don't collaborate with but there's very (laughs) few because it feels like we touch so many different I mean even from United Way who allows us to you know utilize their space when we're out there at our drive-through site at the Buck Mickle Center off Pleasantburg where it's cool to see how it really does Mm. we say it takes a village but it really does take a village to make it happen because we we really wouldn't be where we are without the help of all these different organizations that lend their specialty and you know what they bring to the table to us to be able to really fulfill the mission Mm. of reaching our customers with affordable produce and I think that's the coolest one of the favorite my favorite things about my position is just seeing how it's so interconnected throughout we're so connected interconnected throughout Greenville but that's so necessary to maintaining the sustainability of what we're doing yeah 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 I I I mean and we're only talking about 
collaborations with food share, right? Yeah, so we have three exactly. other enterprises yeah. that are connecting with a lot of financial institutions, bike shops, faith communities, yeah. city and county officials. You know, like it's the list of our uh, professional collaborative or collaborative partners, funders, donors, volunteers, like whatever you want. It's pretty exhaustive. Mm-hmm. It's pretty long. Um, and I think personally what I really enjoy about my role, per- like personally in the professional sense, what I really enjoy about my role is I kind of sit between a lot of our enterprises. And so I get to collaborate with each of our different enterprises and really see the overlap of so many of the mm-hmm. things we're doing, right? So like, for example, our Good Neighbor Boxes is a program we started this summer. And so we're providing one quote unquote food share box to 10 different families who are hyper local to our office. And by hyper local, I mean they are reached on a bike. So we're using bikes from Village Ranch, and then we're using produce from Foodshare and produce grown on our farm. And we're also adding gifts in those boxes from entrepreneurs who have gone through our entrepreneurship program and purchasing goods from them to provide tea or to provide, um, I'm blanking on anything else, soap or like <laughs> little things like that to just kind of add to the box. And then it, it's just like a this one good neighbor box is tying literally all of it together. Um, And I think it's just cool to see that sort of work being done. And then I get to meet with everyone and be like, what's the cool stuff you've been doing this week? Um, And so it's just really fulfilling in that sense. Yeah, that's so cool. The good neighbor box, it sounds like it's the epitome of Mm -hmm. y'all's work. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. And one of our newest uh, hires, who was also an intern, like she's leading it and came up with the whole idea. So it's just cool. Yeah, that's super cool. This inherently collaborative and creative nature of Mill Village, their mission, their work, and their employees is what drives the results. I can imagine that they have countless success stories and numerous meaningful impacts. So I asked Rob and Anna to share some stories. Oh God, there's so many. (laughs) I mean, I'll just share a very brief tidbit that we had happen last week. So we had a customer who... So our system is a pre-order system for our food share boxes, so we only package the exact amount. So our number is never usually clean. It's usually like 738 or, you know, 1,016. It's not, you know, it's usually not a very clean number because we're only packing the exact amount. And so we had a customer call after our order deadline had passed. So we do ask customers to make sure to order by a certain day and time just to make sure that we can order enough produce in time to package the right amount of and boxes. to decrease waste. Yeah. To decrease waste, exactly. And so she called us a day before we were packing, which would have been well past the order deadline. And she was like, not hysterical but she was upset and she was like this is the way that I get my food for the week and I was almost crying I was like Mm. oh my gosh like she was seriously like beside herself and I was almost beside myself because I have a very empathetic disposition and so I was like man like this really hit home for me I was like if she doesn't get these food share boxes she doesn't she's like I don't eat produce if I don't get these food share boxes Mm. and I was like man that is such a crazy real impact that we can see that we're having is that you know one person um for one person even i mean we're reaching multiple households every other week 
But even just to boil it down to one example, for her to get her food share boxes, that time we did make an exception because we were able to make that happen for her was just heartwarming for me just to know that she was able to continue her healthy lifestyle that she wanted to and incorporate the fruits and veggies that were in her box into what's now become really her habitual, you know, I guess diet for the week. Mm. I felt like that was impactful just on a micro level for me to see food share really is a necessity for people and what we're doing is has become such a integral part of people's lives that Mm -hmm. she's like you know she's a snap customer so she gets her box for five dollars and so there's no way that her five dollars would stretch at the grocery store as far as it does with a food share box so that was an example of something food share specific um do you have any farm specific stories that you want to share yeah i just remember in the well this is kind of another food share story but in the height of covid so in May of 2022, or 2020, sorry, kind of everything changed, right? Um, Well, it was March, but our operations kind of took, like, what are we going to do here? What's happening? But I remember it was, I think, either May or June, and we were delivering boxes in a very different way than we are now. But that's besides the point. There was this family, and they were getting a box, and a kid was running down the steps. They got two boxes, and he came back down to get the second step and he already had an apple in his mouth from the first one. And the parents had said like, this is the first produce that we've had in like a month or two because they couldn't, they'd lost their jobs and they couldn't get, they couldn't afford the produce. And so they were just like, thank you. Like we haven't really had produce in a month or two. Um, and so that was just an incredible story. Um, and then, yeah, I mean with the farms, we just see students who come out and get great jobs afterwards or go on to, college four-year institution or whatever they whatever they want to do whatever their goals are um, but another really cool one is that we've had entrepreneurs come through our village launch program whose students then are employed in our program so whether that's at the farm or in the bike shop um, it's just kind of a really cool full circle moment of like okay we're not only helping this woman start her own business and become financially independent but we're also she now trusts us to have her student her her own children taught and employed by us as well, then they can have their own paycheck Mm -hmm. and hopefully decrease that curve, right? Make that curve shorter to becoming financially independent. As you can probably tell, it sounds like the work Rob and Anna do and the rest of the crew at Mill Village is extremely rewarding. But I also think that in any nonprofit space, it's easy to get bogged down in the hard parts. I asked them the same question that I asked Melissa Fair. How do you move past the heaviness? Yeah, I'll just share a little bit about my story. So I left a nonprofit in October of 21 and really thought I wanted to work in finance. And I was like, you know, I'm going to become, I'm not sure what my goal was exactly, but I, I think I wanted to make more money in some ways and just try out something different. And so I started applying to work in real estate or worked for financial advisors and had great interviews and great interactions with people who are genuinely making a difference in a way that um, I hadn't seen before. I hadn't really had a glimpse into those worlds prior to some of that time spent exploring. So I kept going to these interviews and felt like there was always something missing for me. And I felt like I, I think I guess, I guess to start over, 
partially. Part of the reason that I wanted to get out of nonprofit world was because it is. It's so hard to maintain, in some ways, that work-life balance when you feel like part of your brain is always on. Um, I think that empathy part of me is on a lot of times, just thinking about people's stories and wondering, like, how can we continue to advance our piece of the puzzle to make their life better and one you know I'm very I think I'm just very analytical at times just trying to think through like processes and efficiency and I wanted to turn that off so I did take that break from nonprofit world started working or looking at working in finance and then really came full circle and I was like I really do think that community work is it's so rewarding but it's also I feel like there has to be somebody that does it. There have to be those people that are willing to make that um, sacrifice, whether it's like financially to, to do things that are helping move our community forward from the ground up. And so I think that I'm willing to make that step just because I, I do love to see the impact that it has. And I do think um, at the end of the day, I hope that if I have children someday or I get to influence my niece and nephew that that they are continuing to that they are continuing to do that work in the community like I don't think it ends with me but I think it starts somewhere and I think that if I can continue to plant that seed with the people that I influence friends family um, people in my faith community that it hopefully will continue to bear fruit because I do feel like the need in Greenville is so large and it's so multifaceted and I think that the need for people in food justice or the people that want to work with people experiencing homelessness or people you know who need reliable transportation all of those so many sectors I feel like there's just I just I think mobilizing people is maybe mm-hmm. part of my passion mm-hmm. so I'm like I can't tell people to do something that I'm not doing and so mm-hmm. I want to continue to run the race whether it's you know, difficult. I think that there's a lot of ways that you learn over time to have work-life balance and continue to figure out what that looks like to really try to disconnect after work to make sure that my tank is full and that I'm taking care of myself and doing self-care things. But I think it's fun. I think it's it comes with a lot of challenges, but at the end of the day, I really do think it's worth it to know that there's a drop in the bucket towards further community development for hopefully more generations to come toward a Greenville where we don't need a food share program or we don't need a village wrench because we've, you know, alleviated some of the underlying causes of needing those supports, those extra not-for-profit entities. Yeah, Yeah, I think um, there's some very specific things I do. I don't have my email on my phone. I don't really ever check my email after five unless there's a grant that's due or there's a big work event, like there are obviously times where you need to change that, but I don't really do anything on weekends ever for work, very rarely. But my job is also different than a program person because I'm behind the scenes in development and operations. And I think in terms of just like mentally, how do you stay afloat? I think I've had to make my scope a lot smaller and realize my sphere of influence is the people I can physically or metaphorically touch around me. And so I think if I 
start to worry and go on a mental tailspin about all the issues in the entire world at all times, that's neither helpful to me or anyone else who's experiencing mm -hmm. those issues. So I just try to think, okay, today I am going to write two more pages on this grant, which will help this one program at this one organization influence a thousand more people next year. And they'll, those 1,000 people will each get one more box of produce. And it's like, yeah, that's a drop in the bucket, but if I didn't do that, then they wouldn't have that. Um, and so I think I just think smaller. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say I'm not aware of larger issues, but I don't think it's, I think those are more policy level and institutional level things, and that's not my wheelhouse, so that's for somebody else to do. Yeah. Well, thank you both for sharing your experiences. Those are really great insights. Um, I like what you said about scaling it down. So Catherine and Sam and I have a book club every Friday, and we're reading, um, I think it's called Our Better Angels by hmm. Jonathan Reckford, who's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, who also happens to be my best friend's father. So fun <laughs> oh, connection. That's awesome. Um, nice. But it's a great book, and he talks about seven virtues that he's learned through his work with Habitat hmm. um, and how we should all kind of live by them and you can incorporate them in your daily life. And I think we were reading the chapter on generosity, and he was saying how we all, all of us who like want to pursue nonprofit work have this idea that we need to solve the world's problems. Yeah. When, <laughs> when in reality, scaling it down is what you should be doing because we cannot solve all the world's problems. Yeah. Everyone wants to, but... Um, so I think that's really important is kind it of is. grounding yourself in that and reminding yourself that you are making an impact that you can with the community around you and that there are people working towards those bigger issues, but that is a extremely long-term goal mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that the local things are important. And I think it's important to, it helps you have a better self-awareness of who you are and mm -hmm. what you can do because it's also pretty arrogant if I think to myself, I'm going to solve all these mm -hmm. issues because one, who am I to solve them for other people? And two that's not my thing to do. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do what I feel like I have the skills and abilities and time and resources or whatever to do. And that's what I'm going to do and if everybody did that, mm -hmm. we'd all be great. Mm -hmm. You know, like if right. everybody just was responsible for um, yeah, their sphere of influence. Yeah. I was going to say I think that also takes it back to like Mill Village doing what we do. I feel like Mill Village has done such a good job of honing in on specific you know, tracks like the farm, village launch, village engage, village wrench, and just does those really well and realizes that it's not everything that Greenville County needs, but it's something very specific that Greenville County needs. And if we can do that really well, then we're driving home, you know, even more impact in that way. And it, like I said, it isn't everything. It won't, nobody can do everything, but I do think it takes place on that level too of like mm -hmm. each organization if we try to be everything to everybody we're gonna fall short because nobody can do that yeah when i was talking to rob and anna i could really tell that they care deeply about the cause which is what you really need in nonprofit work like anna said she returned to nonprofit because she felt like something was missing at a place like mill village the potential is massive and both Rob and Anna have visions for FoodShare and Mill Village to take their impact to the next level. Like FoodShare-wise, I'm excited. When I got hired on, Dan and Rob really helped me understand the scope of what FoodShare wants to be in a few years. And so I'm excited about that. We want to add 
two more drive-through sites. So we've got the one in Nickeltown, and then we want to add one in the City View area, and then we want to add one in Malden. And we don't really have anything out in Malden Simpsonville area, and it's a part of Greenville County that's mm -hmm. very underreached as well with fresh produce and is a food desert. And so I'm excited about that. I think we definitely want to scale up our partner sites, which is also contingent upon a few other things changing with our SNAP transactions, but we are, we have a lot of different organizations that want to be able to provide their clientele, their folks with a fresh produce box. And so we want to be able to drop off to them and them to be able to serve their population. And so there's definitely a long list of things that we want to do and we've already have in kind of the near future to be able to serve more parts of Greenville County that are experiencing food insecurity. So those are the future-specific yeah. things. Yeah, and thankfully we have a lot of infrastructure and yeah. finances in place. Mm -hmm. It's more just the mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. it going <laughs> is yes. honestly a harder part yes. than even writing the grant or getting the box truck. Right. Um, not to say that those aren't important, but right. um, I see a lot of things from Mill Village Ministries, but I guess the main thing that I just see is increasing the impact by making it more local. Mm -hmm. So we're, we are trying to focus primarily on the west side of Greenville and providing all of the services as possible to everybody around us, if that makes sense. So that mm -hmm. doesn't sound like it's getting bigger, but it actually is. Um, by becoming even more hyper-local. Um, and I just think there's so many, like, I'm kind of, internally, I have a lot of goals for the organization um, and some really exciting things that are changing in terms of, like, structures and benefits and, like, small things like that that are incredible. Like, you're talking about burnout. Like, it's incredibly important to take care of your employees mm -hmm. and we do a really good job of that and I think there is always ways to grow and so I do a little bit on the HR side as well at work and so that is something I'm incredibly passionate about um, is ensuring that like you're saying your you can't do this work if your tank isn't full and part of that yeah. is making sure you have everything you need as an employee mm -hmm. um, and then I think I'm also very committed to ensuring that our staff reflects the customers and populations that we're mm -hmm. serving and working with and we don't mm -hmm. right now and we're incredibly aware of that and we're actively working to get there and I think going back to your question about sustainability I think the sustainability of our organization hinges upon that mm -hmm. but I also think sustainability doesn't happen overnight so for example for this sure. is gonna sound like it's not related but I promise it is there's a new sustainability market store in my neighborhood called Amend Market they're super cool I went in and talked to the one of the owners for a while and we were just talking about like I have so many soaps and toilet bowl cleaners and glass cleaners and all this stuff in my house that are all in plastic and they're all not good for the earth but what also doesn't make sense is throwing them all away and buying a ton of new things right then so it's the long-term game, mm -hmm. right? So, like, mm -hmm. it also doesn't make sense that we can totally change our entire staff overnight because that wouldn't, A, be fair to the people who are here or, B, be fair to the people coming in because there would be, you know, like, I guess what I'm saying is yeah. I believe we're working on that and it may not look like it to other people, but we are, yeah. and it does change over time. 
Um, and so that's something that I'm really dedicated to and working on. Yeah. And as always, I asked Rob and Anna if they'd add or change anything about my definition of sustainable food justice, which, as a reminder, is equitable access to food that is culturally appropriate, sustainably grown or sourced, and helps afford people a good quality of life. Like Melissa, Rob provided another bit of important insight about definitions. I think with any definition, you have to then define each word in the definition, which is so hard. So, like, I think that's a great definition on the whole. The questions I would ask are, like, who's defining what is culturally appropriate mm-hmm. for whom? You know, who, um, what is a good, I, I can't remember the exact ending of it, but, like, what is, what was uh, the last phrase? Like Good access to a better quality of life yeah so like how do you define the better quality of life right you know is that more Mm -hmm. money is that more food is that more disposable income so you can do what you want you you know just like it's not i'm not necessarily saying i would change your definition i'm just saying i think it's you have to then question like what are all the definitions of all those words and who's defining them Mm -hmm. but i think it's a very good holistic (laughs) definition I don't, yeah, I would agree with Rob, but I wouldn't necessarily have anything to add at this point. Yeah, I think that's important too, is like recognizing that it's different for every person you encounter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was speaking with, I think it was Melissa Fair, and she said that the thing with definitions also is that they can be limiting, Mm -hmm. so to try and not just stay within that box, so Mm -hmm. not keep yourself boxed in. They can be limiting, and then if they're not limiting, then they mean nothing, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. then they're all inclusive. <laughs> so it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Anna had an additional program that she wanted to highlight called Fresh Out of the Box. I want to mention Fresh Out of the Box. Mm. So we have a part of our program that's called Fresh Out of the Box, mm. and every month it is a Facebook Live uh, video that essentially has Rhonda Rawlings, community engagement director and um, a chef that's how would you explain how we pick our chefs like a local minority yeah, chef a local minority chef yeah that is um, willing to work with us and be able to use what's coming out of a food share box mm-hmm. into a practical recipe and they cook they are somebody's from our organization is live on Facebook to be able to answer questions and we get some good engagement from customers that have bought a box and that are interested in replicating what the chef is doing on fresh out of the box and so part of what rob talked about earlier with one of our interns this summer she's working on specifically how we can make fresh out of the box a little bit more culturally sensitive to use kind of a phrase that you used in your definition of food justice but um we're working to make sure that like our hispanic population is represented because we tend to cook in a certain way that might not necessarily be something that people in the Hispanic community enjoy Mm -hmm. and and recognize as like, you know, something delicious for them to eat. And so we want to make sure that it is representative of who our population is because so many people getting a food chair box are representing Mm -hmm. the Hispanic um, group. And so I think that fresh out of the box is something that is great already and really a neat way for us to be able to engage with our customers, to be able to highlight a chef in the community. Sometimes it's a um, graduate from Village Launch. Mm-hmm. 
and also to yeah to really offer practical ways to use our produce but then I think there's a lot of cool things coming up with fresh out of the box so I just want to encourage people to yeah. tune in to fresh out of the box because it's not just for food share customers um so it's kind of a it's really fun just to watch and be a part mm-hmm. of and it's like a local live cooking yeah, show that you can is. interact really with exactly cool. and, and potentially sorry. that's okay I in the future <laughs> <laughs> we're just so excited potentially we might have like live where people can come into yeah. the cooking space and be able to like try things or to be able to interact with our chef and so I think that that's just fun stuff to look out for and also if people have recommendations or suggestions, mm-hmm. like we want to be catering to and working with our community to make it representative of what the needs are of Very our cool. community. So it's exciting. There's more stuff coming up. I feel like that's Mill Village in a nutshell. It's like there's always something new. Like there's always yeah. a way that we're trying to better what we're already doing. So we're going to continue to make fresh out of the box better, but it's really cool the way it is already. Yeah, and, and just to add to that, we also have medical students who come in and talk about the nutritional benefits of the food you're eating, and then also the chef will provide some sort of like kitchen skill, knife mm-hmm. skill lesson mm-hmm. in it as well, so it's pretty yeah, all-encompassing. Really all yeah. Yeah. And then like we've also had some of them translated in Spanish before and had kids come on and had mm-hmm. you know done like a kid chef and mm-hmm. stuff like that, so they're really fun and, and super relatable, I think. Yeah. Um, Oh, I was just going to add, like, thank you for doing this. This is super fun and a really cool um, way to highlight nonprofits in Greenville because there's so many who are doing really, 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 really good work. Um, And it's a cool way to have it all in, like, a fun, uh, digestible format to learn about what nonprofits are doing in Greenville. Of course. Well, and right back at you, thank you for taking the time. I know it's not always easy to take an hour and a half out of your day. Um, but I really do love podcasting and my communications brain really works well with the poverty studies minor. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's always important to share with people that storytelling through media is really powerful and can mm-hmm. be really powerful. So I appreciate that. Um, I did want to ask where is fresh out of the box, right? Yeah. Can people, that's on Facebook live. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So just go to Mill Village Farms mm-hmm. Facebook page Perfect. at Mill Village Farms. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> and is there anywhere else that listeners, if they're interested, can find more information? Yes. Yeah, so if you go to our umbrella nonprofit website, millvillage.org, mm-hmm. um, you can find all of our enterprises and you can go to Village Ranch and Food Share and Mill Village Farms and Village Engage from there. So I would just point everyone to millvillage.org. Um, and then from there, you can figure out how to donate, volunteer, learn more. Um, it's all on that page. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Anything yeah. else? No, but I do love the intersection of your, like, how you said Mm -hmm. communications and the poverty studies. This is a cool way to Mm -hmm. bring those together and really, like you said, storytelling is really powerful. And Mm -hmm. I love podcasts. I'll listen to them (laughs) on my way to work or on a road trip. And I think it's just, as Rob used the word digestible, I think it's a great way for people to just learn more about what's going on in their community. So appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. My interview with Mill Village was the perfect conclusion to a series of interviews of local stakeholders and nonprofits. After having spoken with Susan France, Dr. Cobb, and Melissa Fair, I had a really solid foundation of understanding about the issues facing Greenville residents. Those previous conversations really helped frame my interview with Anna and Rob. 
There are so many exciting things that Mill Village is doing. We learned from Melissa that a mixture of solutions is necessary. And we learned from LiveWell that supporting your partners in every section of the stream is the way to achieve these goals together. They're answering so many of the hows in my definition of sustainable food justice. How do you give people equitable access to fresh food? How do you make it culturally appropriate? How do you afford people a better quality of life? One thing that Mill Village Farms provides is food, but what all their enterprises have in common is that they provide hope. And the combination of the two is where they find their most meaningful impact. I left their office feeling the sensation of hope and desire to create meaningful, lasting change that Rob and Anna were exuding. Next time, I'll be saying goodbye as I wrap up my fellowship with the Shy Institute and head into my senior year at Furman. It's a bittersweet ending, but I look forward to concluding my summer in a thoughtful way. All of the things I talked about with Rob and Anna will be linked in the show notes. That includes their website, as well as their Facebook, where you can find Fresh Out of the Box. I'm also going to link the book that I mentioned, Our Better Angels by Jonathan Reckford. Don't forget to follow the Shy Institute on Instagram, at Sustainable Furman. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Caroline Singleton, and this has been Upstate Anecdotes. Until next time. Thank you.